Um, well, obviously, I, I think I think it's a bit of a difficult topic because because there are so many different cultures that fit within that space, different cultures, people from different religions, different backgrounds, and so it's it's difficult to speak about because trying to navigate along, you know, a whole bunch of different narratives of different people, and so some people like don't want to talk about it at all, and some people do want to talk about it. Uh, some people will, you know, not be involved at all, and some people are, you know, are more forward thinking or. Same, same, different. This is Western Sydney. Um, all right, so I just want to thank Erdem and Eloise for joining us on the same, same, different platform. Um, the whole point of this platform is to bring voices from Western Sydney out to the world, the different stories um, that make up Western Sydney. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of this project. Um, before we begin, I'd like to give an acknowledgement to country. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we live on today. I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the Black Lives Matter movement that is currently being fought in America and all over the world, including our own land, which is basically trying to bring to light the need for justice and equality, which is so important to me and the team at Same Same Different as well. So um, before we, I guess we can go ahead and get started, I'll start with Eloise. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little about yourself and also about what ACON does and the work that you know that you're involved in. Absolutely. Hi, and thanks so much for having me today. So, um, yeah, my name is Eloise and I'm a Community Health Promotion Officer at ACON and I work specifically in sexual, domestic and family violence space. Um, so ACON is New South Wales' leading health organisation and specialising in community health, inclusion and HIV responses for people of diverse sexualities and genders. Um, and what I do specifically, I'm lucky I have a really varied role um, looking at addressing sexual, domestic and family violence for LGBTQ communities so you know whether that's providing strategic advice um, providing training to mainstream domestic and family violence organizations or partnering to improve capacity to work with um, sexuality and gender diverse people um, but I'm here today also in my role as a co-convener for the New South Wales LGBTIQ domestic and family violence interagency because um, we've partnered on some exciting research that um, yeah hoping to chat through today and ACON also do a lot of work in Western Sydney as well events workshops projects um, I could go on for a long time but that's probably yes. not as interesting <laughs> for you guys yeah, yeah. No, that's really amazing I'm surprised I haven't heard about them personally myself um, so obviously the reason that we're here today is to talk about the research that ACON has pioneered um, so tell us about the research what what was the purpose of it or what was the end result and what the whole journey of it, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're here to talk about uh, this research called Home is Where Our Story Begins, Family, Community and Belonging for Sexuality and Gender Diverse, Culturally and Linguistically Diverse People. Um, so, so this project looks at the lived experiences of sexuality and gender diverse people in Greater Western Sydney, who are also culturally linguistically diverse in relation to family and community relationships and the marriage equality debate as well. So this um, research is um, a partnership between the LGBTIQ Domestic and Family Violence Interagency, Western Sydney Youth University and ACON as well. So um, I guess a really beautiful collective effort. And we also have today Adem joining us as one of the community interns that worked on the project as well. That's great. Um, so, and I guess, cause I myself don't know too much about 
well, I, don't, I guess I don't have too much exposure to the LGBTIQ community and basically, let's start with the pronouns. So sexuality and gender diverse people, right? So is that how I like address them? And I, I guess, because I guess for me and for people that are listening, they may not be as well versed about it. Yeah, and, and we don't make it easy because there are different terms that different people use. So maybe that can kind of make it a little bit complicated. So today I might be talking kind of interchangeably. Um, so sexuality and gender diverse is sort of an umbrella term talking about um, people who essentially might not be um, heterosexual, so straight um, or cisgender, which is this term um, that is like, so if I'm, I'm born as a woman and, the, you know, the doctor held me up as a baby and said, it's a girl and I've grown up and been like, yeah, I am. Um, and that makes me cisgender. So that's a bit of a new term for people as well. Um, whereas, you know, people that are trans um, might not have had that, haven't had that same experience perhaps. Uh, another thing, acronym that people might use is LGBTIQ. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer. Um, and some people, you know, um, yeah, so there can be different acronyms and different terms, and, and I understand that it, it is something new for people sometimes, and it can be tricky to get your head around, and sometimes people feel, like, anxious and nervous about terminology as well, but I think, um, you know, as long as we're trying genuinely to understand where people are coming from and use the terms that people use to talk about themselves, I think that's always the best thing. Sorry, cut out for a second there um, towards the end, but I think I think Rachel got um, most of it. But okay, so I just want to understand. So because I know that there is a lot of research into the um, LGBTIQ um, community and you know the experiences of those people, but this is the first time I'm coming across research where it also intertwines the um, experiences of people of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. So why did you pick to mix those two together and what is unique to, I guess, that kind of research as opposed to just the, like just the, the standard LGBTIQ research that has been conducted? Yeah, so, so I guess where this research really came from was following the results of the marriage equality survey in 2017. Um, so as though, although as we know, the overall um, result was, was yes in that survey, there were 17 electorates in Australia that actually returned a majority no. And of those 17, 12 were located in Greater Western Sydney. And, and so following that, ACON and the New South Wales LGBTIQ Diversity and Family Violence Interagency were concerned about the wellbeing of sexuality and gender diverse people in Greater Western Sydney, and particularly around relationships to family. And so I guess this research specifically came out of wanting to understand the experiences of people in Western Sydney, and I think that's really unique um, that we are looking at this um, community specifically and um, you know I, I guess it's that importance of intersectionality that there isn't one experience of what it means to be sexuality and gender diverse or what it means to be culturally linguistically diverse uh, and so this research is really just trying to understand and give voice to those lived experiences that might not always be heard as much. Yeah yeah no, that's really great because like I said I it's just such a quite a unique area to work in and it's something that's not spoken about and being from Western Sydney myself you know you don't always come across people that speak up about it very um, confidently or um, or in a safe in a safe um, area so when it be, when it came to basically finding participants to take part in the research was there any barriers that you you guys faced or people that didn't feel 
safe to talk about it. So could you talk about that a little? Yeah, um, and look, I, I'm certain that there would have been people that didn't feel safe to take part in this research. Um, you know, it's kind of this thing that can sometimes be called like a hard to reach community of, of sort of people that might have experienced family violence. Um, you know, it can sometimes be hard to, to reach people who are culturally linguistically diverse. It can be hard to reach people who are sexuality and gender diverse. Um, so we did experience those barriers, but I suppose, you know, some of that is around how are we actually speaking to communities? Where, where are we going? going to, to connect with people as well as you know do people feel um, comfortable to tell their stories that they've been finding out about the research so there there can be challenges but we um you know we did have people certainly really interested in this survey and there was also uh, two people that we interviewed as well um, so you know there were barriers but there was also some really beautiful stories shared really bravely with us um, and a lot of people speaking about their experiences and and as well there was a component of this project that's not just research but also community development and we had great engagement with those events um, as well so I think that's been really heartening. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. So how how did you go about um, recruiting participants? Was it just, um, you know, online or like on the streets? Like how, how was that process? So I um, came in, I guess, when some of this stuff had already started is when I began ACON. So I was lucky I didn't have to be too involved in all of those tricky questions. Um, but yeah, we had, um, you know, engagement through social media and, and promotions. We also, and Demi might be able to speak to this a little bit as well, connected with community organisations to share about the research and also um, services as well. So Demi, I know you were involved in some of that. Did you want to speak to any of that work? I'll turn it over to Erdem. Erdem, can you just introduce yourself for the people that are listening? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm Erdem. I'm 26. I used to live in Granville and I've been uh, raised my whole life there. I'm studying at Western Sydney University and I'm on the Student Representative Council as the representative for the university and I also am the president of the Queer Collective. That's great. Um, I grew up in Granville myself, and I also go to Western Sydney University. <laughs> hey. So I was actually one of the interns on the project, um, and one of my main roles was to spread the project around and, and get people to actually fill out the survey. So, you know, a lot of, like, walking up to businesses, just, like, whole, like, talking to them and whatnot. Um, also, I uh, messaged a lot of Facebook groups. I had my own contacts within my oh, – I'm, I'm actually uh, the president of the Queer Collective at – WSU. So within that space, I contacts there. So I was sharing it as much as I could. Um, I'm involved in a few other queer groups with people who are actually called as well. So I shared it with them. Um, just like lots of sharing, kind of passing through your networks, uh, and also you know walking up to a few different organisations and and um, queer friendly spaces, uh, contacting even even what's called um, a few like religious places, places of worship and whatnot. Uh, resource places, resource centers, you know, stuff like that. Okay, so were you faced with any, um, like, so when you were like, for example, going to those businesses or when you went to the religious groups, um, talking about the research, were you faced with any, um, what would you say, like, like um, were, you, were you made to feel unwelcome in any way or was everyone encouraging of the research and like, yes, you know, we would love to participate. <laughs> Um, so, so actually, in terms of um, just just for like our safety, it was me and us. It was me and someone else. 
uh, places that might be a little bit, um, might be considered a little bit disrespectful to, to speak about this stuff, I uh, we contacted them via email first. So obviously, if there was any issues, then they would say there was issues. But a lot of a lot of some didn't respond at all. Uh, some responded and had more queries. And yeah, we just spoke to them via email. And then if they if we you know if they wanted to actually meet us, we'd go there. That's amazing. I, I, I think that's really brave as well to do that. I don't think people usually just step up to those kind of roles. So I think I commend you in doing that. Um, so I guess what I'll do now is we'll go over to Adem. So we'll talk a bit about you and why you chose to be an intern with um, on the project. And um, I think my understanding is that you were one of the participants. Is that correct? Yes. So I... I didn't start off as, as a participant. I started off as an intern, but but the reason I got accepted to be an intern is because this uh, research is basically me perfectly. You know, I'm I'm cold. I grew up in Western Sydney. I speak another language at home sometimes. You know, I have like a religious background, like all these things. I, I kind of fit like perfectly within the research. And then my networks that I have through my uh, advocacy work at Western Sydney University also meant that I could spread the research around. Um, but yeah, I, I am a participant as well because I did the research so so well. Okay, so why did you choose to intern with the like with the research? <laughs> yeah, the research did interest me. I yeah, I wanted to kind of know about the the people that were being interviewed and and the experiences and whatnot, and I wanted to like know the the end to all the research and and find out the results. So I thought I would get involved, and because of my networks, I would spread it out. Okay, that, that's great. And I just want to ask you, I guess, you know, for a lot of listeners, including myself, understanding and acknowledging sexual and gender diversity, it's a difficult topic, as I was um, talking about earlier. Why do you, why do you think that is? Like, for me personally, I guess it's because of that lack of education or, my, or like my lack of exposure, as I was saying. But from your opinion, like, you know, from your perspective, why do you think that is such a difficult topic to be taught, to be spoken about or, um, yeah, to be talked about? Um. Well, obviously, I, I think I think it's a bit of a difficult topic because because there are so many different cultures that fit within that space. Different cultures, people from different religions, different backgrounds, and so it's it's difficult to speak about because trying to navigate along, you know, a whole bunch of different narratives of different people, and so some people like don't want to talk about it at all. Some people do want to talk about it. Uh, some people will, you know, not be involved at all, and some people are, you know, are more forward thinking or or have got experiences and stuff so I think when it's spoken about it's just a bit of a a mixed bag of kind of issues and, and concerns when it comes to speaking about it yeah yeah but I don't yeah 100% I think but that's why I think it's so much more important to talk about it because it, because of the issues that come about from it um and you know I just wanted to ask you like so you said that you took part in the like in the project because you wanted to learn so what has your perception changed following the research like what what did you learn that what most stuck out to you um what most stuck out to me after the research I guess was the scope of people that wanted to get involved in research and the scope of people that actually targeted because you know this this research was about people who were just like non-heteronormative right and if you're like called non-heteronormative and there were a lot of people who fit into that category and it, it just kind of like opened my eyes to the fact that there are a lot of people who are similar to me or have gone through experiences like myself. And, you know, I don't know about them in the first place. I don't have access to them. And, and yeah, I think it just kind of opens up the fact that there are people who are 
similar to me and similar to everyone else. And they're just, you know, in circumstances where they might not be able to speak about it in real life, you know, outside of the, the privacy of a survey. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I just want to also ask you, um, you know, like I guess it becomes a bit more personal and you know I would I would love to hear your like your perspective on this but like obviously when it comes to coming out to you know your family that's not the end goal there is obviously I, I feel like people talk about yeah coming out that's the big scary thing but no one actually talks about what happens after like you know is it actually does it make life easier or has it made, made it more complex for you or like for people that also that you know you guys have interviewed so from my experience, I, I felt like I definitely needed to come out because I, look, so there's obviously two sides to the to the coin. There's there's the good side, which is once you've come out, well, once you've started coming out, you know, things become easier. You don't have to hold in your life, like you don't have to change your narrative, you don't have to lie about who you've seen, what you've done, what you're thinking about. You don't have to, you know, like tell people that you're waiting to get married to your 36 and then that's just a lie because you're actually dating someone but you can't ever say that you're dating someone from the same the same sex you know so it definitely like opens things up a lot but also it can open up a, a can of worms where once you start coming out it's it's difficult to stop and the thing is that coming out is not a destination it's a journey like you're never going to stop coming out because people are going to come into your life that don't know and you know your nieces and nephews or someone's children or someone else anyone who's involved in your life is going to assume that from the get-go, you're, you're like straight, heteronormative. Yeah. It's going to continue being a problem, continue being a thing, I guess. But if you've got a family that can that will support you, and if you if you feel like it's something you need to do, then I'd recommend doing it. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, would you say that following the research and like you know your your participation in it and also your your involvement in it, did that make you feel more connected with the people that were participating and just with? The, the the concept itself yeah so definitely i didn't actually have uh, contact with the people that were participating because it was just a complete online survey but it definitely helped me feel more included and and let me kind of accept the fact that i do fit in somewhere and i am i do have people who are similar to me i have people who've gone through the same experience people have had, uh, there are people who've had it worse than me you know and it just it's just yeah. you know that you know, this community does exist. And I'm not alone. And I think other people might feel the same way as well. That's really interesting. And I think that one of the things that this research really highlights as well is that there isn't one story of, of what happens when when you, you know, come out or, or some other people might not use the term coming out. There's also sort of this concept of inviting in where it's like, I might not tell everyone, but when, you know, we have a trusted relationship, I might talk to you and invite you into my life as well. Um, but sort of of our research of those who had um, sort of disclosed their sexuality or gender identity or their gender, sorry, um, you know, 52% their relationship with their family was affected for the worse. But for 30% of people, their relationship with their family um, actually improved. It was for the better. It affected their relationship for the better. Um, so I think um, there is that real diversity of stories of people for whom sharing their identities, um, they found their families were this amazing support of, um, source of support. Um, and for other people, they might have been met with negative reactions and silence. So I think um, it, it does do that, that role of highlighting that, that there are different stories and that um, yeah, like Adem said, you're not alone. You, you might be going through some of those things or if you're not sure 
um, what life might look like for you. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that so much. And that kind of captures, I guess, the whole concept of what we do with this project as well, just like letting people know that, you know, there are different stories, but there's also that that community in those stories, like that, that sense of belonging and that sense of knowing that you're not alone. Um, I also just wanted to ask you as well, uh, and I want to put this question to both Eloise and Adam. So basically, I understand that from the research, um, they, they asked the um, participants what kind of support services they preferred and to my understanding out of 50 participants three percent said that they would go to culturally and linguistically diverse background services as opposed to the majority said that they would go to like the lgbtiq um, support services so why do you think that is do you think that there's a narrative to that like how can we possibly help change that or should we change that um you know i guess that the the report itself, because of the way that sort of question uh, was posed as just um, like a survey response, we didn't get so much of a narrative maybe out of those responses themselves. Um, and, and as well, that question was specifically asking about where would you go if you'd experienced family violence. So it might be, um, it's not necessarily to say that our participants um, wouldn't access um, you know, multicultural resource centres, for example, for, for other needs. Um, but most people sort of said they'd go to a counsellor or also to, um, you know, a helpline as well. So I think, but absolutely, I think that there are things that we can do to make sure that people know they can go to culturally linguistically diverse services, um, you know, services for their community. And I think the big part, um, and, and I'm sure that, um, you could probably weigh in on this as well, but is to really do that active engagement with LGBT communities and, and let people know that your service is um, a safe and confidential space. Uh, some people who, who took part in our research really had this feeling like they had to choose between their cultural identity and their sexuality and gender. Like they've either got to live in the inner city and have access to sexuality yeah. and gender diverse services, or they can remain in Western Sydney and be connected to family and culture. And I think um, that that shouldn't be the case and that progress is kind of happening and that we can all kind of take a role in, in making sure, in doing what we can to, I guess, limit that disconnection, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. I think that's so important that, and I think, like you say, like you shouldn't have to choose between the two, like being from a culturally and linguist, um, linguistic background myself, I can't, like I would ever, if, if I was to ever be in that position, I can imagine that I'd be torn to feel like I have to pick between either my family or what is good, like what I feel like is me. Um, so I'm really glad that that's something that you just spoke about. And what about you, Adam? Like, do you think that um, there's something that the, the the culturally and linguistically diverse background support services are not providing or they should provide? I don't think it's about what they're not providing or what they should be providing. I think it's more about the, um, not the stigma, the fear around going to a place where people can speak your language, people might be your same culture. Because like, you know, my thought and from the experience I have from my friends is that if someone can speak your language, maybe they know your family, right? Yeah. So like, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an understanding that like, if, if, I, if I went to a, a mostly white uh, resource center, they're, not, they're probably not going to know me if, if it's in the city or if it's somewhere else. But if I'm going to like, you know, a sexual health service or a resource center and people are, you know, can speak to me in my own language, I just would get scared. People might leave my 
get even more scared. People who aren't out at all, people who are just, you know, might be in a, during a lifestyle where they seem they're completely straight. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's about like uh, educating about the fact that these services are private and, and also educating the fact that these are available and they should be, they should be used. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and I just wanted to also like, so when it comes to these support services, what do you think that support services can offer that? And, and I, I feel like it's a very simple question. It, the answer sounds obvious, but maybe it's not. But what do you think support services can offer that your family support cannot offer? Like, even if you come from a family that's like, you know, that will support you and that understands, you know, when if you decide to come out that, and they support you in, in, in every way possible, what do you think that a support service can provide you that a family can't? Um, I think the support service could offer you unbiased advice, um, advice that actually pertains to your life. Because I guess when you've come out to your family, there's a long period of time where, at least for my family, there's there's a hope that you'll, that it's a phase or that you'll grow out of it or that you'll find a person, you'll find like a wife that, you know, fits you perfectly or just just speaking about any kind of issues that are related to you. Because obviously you, it's it's difficult to speak about your sexuality or even just sex to anyone in your family if you if you if you're queer. So I think support services can definitely help with you know mental health, speaking about your concerns when it comes to sex and sexual health. Anything that you might experience that is of a higher nature than just conversational, you should definitely I think you know this should be accessed. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and I, and I, and you've already told me what, why you were participating in the research and why you're working with them. So what's next? Like, you know, what would you like to do with the experience that you've gained from being a part of the research, Adam? Um, personally, I would love to start being more queer, queer focus in Sydney. Uh, I would like to start off with seeing Paramount I'm not really like taking charge and, and having a more queer, having more, a more queer friendly um, environment, an environment where like, not just, it's not, I don't want it to just be community-based where community people, you know, start events. I want the local council to start advocating and start bringing queer events into the city, you know, like bring more queer visibility, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope that like we can start or I can help start um, bringing more, more queer events, more queer friendly spaces, just more things to do and more visibility for the queer community out West. That's great. And what about you, Eloise? Um, if you could speak on, I guess, behalf of ACON, what do you think the next steps are for you guys and um, what you would like to do with this research that you've conducted? Yeah, I, I guess what I really hope for this resource is that it can be a tool that ACORN uses, but also, you know, any anyone can use to sort of um, listen to voices, to engage in work and, and to have a look at some of the recommendations that are in the report and think, what can I do? Um, that I think there's something that we can all do. You know, discrimination and family violence are social problems. And so, um, you know, we do need responses in a number of kind of areas to come together. So there's a lot of work that's already happening in Western Sydney, which is so amazing. And, you know, even this report um, was supported by a City of Parramatta grant um, 
the, of the council grant. And there, there are a lot of organizations doing this work. Even the fact that we're here today having this chat, I think is, a, is an amazing step and, a, and an amazing thing. So I would really love to see um, this work continue and for this report to be helpful for people that, that wanna be engaged in this. Um, so that's a really broad answer, but I think that's because we kind of need broad actions and um, yeah, so there's something that we can all do and, and I'm really excited and hopeful about the future and the ways that we can sort of come together and support one another. I think we all have things to learn, um, you know, whether it's partnerships between, you know, perhaps ACON and um, Western Sydney Migrant Resource Centre even, you know, how, how can we work together, that kind of thing. So um, definitely excited and keen to have those kind of conversations and build connections. That's really amazing. And I just, yeah, like, I, you know, you mentioned that there was recommendations that come from the report. So obviously there may be obviously a, a number, but I would want to ask you, what were the top three recommendations that you think that is important for, I guess, not just um, for, for like any, for organisations, businesses on, on a personal life as well, that people should include like maybe just three that you think are the most important? Yeah, I'm going to be really sneaky and, and I'm going to talk about the four kind of themes that we group our recommendations under because I can't pick. It's like picking a favourite child. Sure. Um, but we sort of spoke about recommendations in kind of four main areas. So legal reform, like the need to continue lobbying to make conversion therapy illegal. Um, we've got some recommendations for support services, like that services engage in, um, you know, and have ongoing access to inclusion training. We've got recommendations for wider communities like awareness um, raising and, and you know more training and also recommendations for the sexuality and gender diverse community including that community organizations and events should include culturally linguistically diverse people in decision making and agenda settings so um, like I said those four areas really speak to kind of that need to take action from a number of fronts and I think um, we all kind of need to be actively working and um, yeah, I think it's it's really exciting what we're seeing at the moment. So you can um, find the report at the website sayitoutloud.org.au slash home is. And the reason I mentioned that is because we have some dot points of things that um, every one of us, including individuals, can do right now. Um, so we're not just talking about recommendations for future and what we'd like to see, but actually, you know, here's what you can do today. Um, so I, I think that that's, I guess, an exciting challenge and opportunity to, to choose something from that list and, and kind of make that commitment if you can. Yeah, no, that's, thank you so much for that. We'll definitely be putting that link um, in the podcast information as well. I think it's really great that, you know, you provided us with the information to learn about the report and the research because it's really important to learn the stuff that you don't know and educate yourself but also unlearn things and perceptions that you know that you've been brought up into so thank you for that um I also wanted to ask you as you were saying that the possibility of maybe ACON um, partnering up with Western Sydney MRC so obviously Western Sydney MRC they're often the middle organization in creating and connecting new conversations so in regards to like so to, to promote understanding and social cohesion so what would your advice be to organizations such as Western Sydney MRC um, to support you know LGBTIQ community services and communities 
yeah, so, so, and so I guess when I'm talking partnerships, I don't kind of just mean one way that can look. That can even just mean, you know, having each other's emails and checking in if you might have um, a, a question or getting involved with um, your local inclusion network. Many local councils will be a great port of call to find out about if there's an inclusion network in your area. And I think that's a, a great place to start to build connections with other organisations that are also kind of committed to that work. Um, so as well as kind of engaging in training and awareness raising, um, you know, I, I do think it's really important that services have access to information and resources about family violence for sexuality and gender diverse people as well, because they can be kind of unique ways that that looks. Um, so yeah, definitely taking that time um, to learn, to engage with us, even as I've already said, um, things like this podcast, I think are really exciting opportunities. I know that this launch, the launch event for this report um, was something that Western Sydney Migrant Resource Centre were also involved in through the Inclusive Communities Network. Um, and, and so I think those opportunities are there and they're being taken up as well, which is kind of the best thing. Um, but I guess continuing that work and, and that relationship building and, and yeah, listening to your clients as well checking in about about what they need and what they might be seeing yeah thank you and what about you Adem from your perspective what how do you think um centers like Western Sydney MIC can help um I think training and education is important I think um having staff that are that are like well versed in in you know in queer issues and especially like called issues and how they intersect and, and whatnot because it's it's a very broad very broad scope of knowledge to hold. Um, I think that, and no, I think I think mostly just training. I think training and 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 seeing what you can do to to kind of uh, be more inclusive and, and 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 like kind of rally people into your space. But that that takes time. That that's that's a that's more of a a whole Western Sydney project that has to be done by everyone together, not just by a single group organization yeah yeah no i agree with that and um eloise as well i just want to ask you um so you were hoping to see change following this this research slowly but surely right so were you was was acorn or um hoping to measure the changes or track the changes in the space in any way um at the moment i wouldn't say there's perhaps like formal structures of that happening but definitely um you know, keen to connect and support where we can, but also kind of give agency and voice, or not give, but respect the agency and voice of, of different organisations and really empower to say, you know, take this, let us know if there's ways we can help, but also please feel free to run with it. Um, so I definitely am really interested in, um, you know, on the Say It Out Loud page where we're talking about this research, if there are initiatives to be sort of talking about those there so that people can find out about them. Um, so yeah, really keen to be involved, but I guess perhaps um not that kind of formal um structure at the moment but there are a lot of conversations happening which is really exciting so yeah definitely very keen to be involved in that work um where there is support and that's the same for the lgbtiq domestic and family violence interagency as well um, we have a lot of really committed organizations from western sydney who are part of that project and um sorry the interagency itself so i know that um there's a lot of that ongoing work to change that we're involved in. So it's not not just ACON, it's broader than that, which is, um, yeah, really amazing to see. Um, and the other, other thing that I wanted to mention around how um, services can be kind of more inclusive is looking at visible signs of inclusion in your work. So, you know, even just a, a poster 
or a rainbow flag, I, there's this kind of saying of if you don't write us in, we write ourselves out. So unless um, sometimes services, unless you tell us this is a safe place for you or you're welcome here, we may assume that we're not, even if that might not be the case, because I guess how else do we know? How do we have those tricky conversations? So those visible signs of inclusion can be really important. Can I add to that as well, if that's okay? Uh, I was going to say, if, from, from my experience too, I, I definitely also agree. I think even, even things that might seem tokenistic, like having a rainbow flag in front of your business, just for like, you know, just, just, for, just for the sake of it, these things do make me feel more, feel more welcome. Um, the fact that, you know, last year's Mardi Gras, there were buses that were completely covered in rainbows made me feel so much more inclusive in the city. I could felt like I could get onto this bus and feel like I would not have any issues because the, even the bus is kind of waving the rainbow flag. So just, just yeah, having a poster, being inclusive, having <coughs> visible signs of inclusion helps a lot, especially with people who are not out or just completely, you know, concealed within their own skin. They help a lot. Yeah, and I think, you know, important not to see them as kind of the end of the work, but they can be a great signal of the work and also a conversation starter um, with even potentially um, clients or community that may not be as supportive if, if they're having conversations around, like, why is that here? That can be a really great place to talk about the why and the importance of, of welcoming people. So it really can be, um, you know, a, a great starting point or component to change. Yeah. That's really amazing. It's just, you know, you, you, when you think back to the most simple way that you can show that you're welcoming people, you know, I, I didn't even, like, appreciate, like, I didn't even think about that. So thank you so much for letting us know and hopefully that, you know, people that are listening can also make those changes as well. Um, and I guess just to sum it off, um, obviously the podcast is called Same, Same, Different. Um, what does that mean to you? I'll, I'll ask Eloise first. Um, you know, I, I guess to me, even just in that name, it's talking about um, the, those connections that we all have, the similarities um, that might be in our stories and that feeling like Adam was talking about of like, now I know I'm not alone, but also respecting and, and celebrating those differences as well um, and, and holding space for that, I think. Um, and it means a, a lot to me that we're, you know, engaging and have this opportunity to have this discussion. Sometimes these topics aren't always easy for everybody to talk about, but I think it's... Um, yeah, amazing when those conversations happen because that's that's where change and opportunity to connect um, really lie. Yes, and what about you, Adam? Yeah, I agree with uh, what Eloise just said. Um, I guess it's it's the story of like you know we are the same. We're we we're, we're both from different. We're both from like you know a cold backgrounds. We're both from you know we're both queer. We're both these things, but but we're different in some certain way, right? Like we're you know we we come from different areas or we live in different places and so I think yeah it's, it's a it's a nice kind of way to say like we are the same we do have similar things we we we, we can get along with each other but there are differences in our stories and we should show them and share them yeah thank you thank you that's such a beautiful way that both of you put it um but you know I just I guess I just want to let you know that this whole discussion has taught me a lot which I guess like I said I wasn't aware of and I'm so grateful and glad that I've, I've been able to um, learn today and I hope that everyone that listens to this is able to get that same experience that I have and I guess before we finish is there anything else that either of you would want to say or contribute? 
take that as a no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess just another big thank you and thank you for listening. And, you know, if you're listening and this was a hard conversation for you or maybe you you didn't understand it, um, thank you for trusting and, and staying with us. And I really encourage you to take the time and, and learn and read a little bit more um, if you can because it's, it's so important, um, you know, and, and it benefits all of our communities for us all to, to take change and challenge ourselves as well. Um, and I think I'll just say, if you're like listening to this and you come from a very heteronormative lifestyle with people who, you know, seem quite average and straight and heteronormative, then just, you know, try and be more open and try and just have signs that like, that you're inclusive because, because there are people that are around you who might be questioning or queer and like not out. Yeah. Just mentioning that you're an ally will definitely help and and show that you're supportive and, and bring people, nurture people around you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erdem and Eloise. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you want to give us the opportunity to share your unique and wonderful story, please check us out on our website at wsmrc.org.au.